The Raw Rugby Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Raw Rugby Podcast, episode number 44. I'm Brett McKay. The Women's Rugby World Cup has been decided. The final may be already an instant classic. And the Wallabies' northern tour of Europe took an alarming turn for the worst in Italy. In your place for the biggest and best rugby discussion is the raw.com.au, Australia's biggest sporting debate. Great to have Sean Maloney with us on the pod once again last week. Uh, thanks to everyone who got in touch to tell us how much you loved it. Um, thanks to everyone who got in touch around Sunday morning's Instant Reaction pod as well. A lot of you made mention of our brutal honesty, but it was one of those moments where brutal honesty was really the only way to, to go about it. And uh, and plenty of you had your say uh, on the Raw on Sunday, as you can each week, and you can hit us up on the socials as well. Uh, joining me this and every week, uh, a man who tells me he's at home again, but um, what I'm currently looking at is a man en route to a war zone, potentially in eastern Russia or the Ukraine. Harry Jones. <laughs> Hello, comrade. <laughs> How's it, Brett? How's it, Ang? No, no, I ate everything in Ireland. I ate the, the blood black pudding and the beans and the bangers and the sausages. And I drowned it all in Guinness. So then I had to go lose some weight. So I'm actually on this monster hiking, climbing expedition in Utah. And, uh, well, I'm surprised that on the mountain, in the middle of the frozen waste, uh, far, far away from any major metropolitan area, our comms, my guide's comms, <laughs> work much better than a French yeah. bloody TMO that suddenly at the exact moment that we want to know, does he think that the prop is borrowing under the soil? Is is it a 17 movement? That's mm. the moment the TMOs go out on this incredible top five economy in the world that's hosting the World Cup next year. We have to sort that out. The disco yeah. was really good in Marseille, but my goodness, let's keep the comms alive with Wayne Barnes. Yes, rugby espionage is not something we want to become a thing uh, between now and, and a Rugby World Cup, is it? It's, um, it was very, very strange, and I wonder if it's going to be one of those things that It'll just quietly go away and we'll Never forget know. what happened until it happens again somewhere. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, really good point. Uh, mate, on to this week's guest, um, and I'm really, really looking forward to this. Our spring tour theme of pods each week um, takes on a much more solid standing. The Raw Rugby Podcast. We've unlocked the pod's Dublin studio again this week, and from it, we welcome to the Raw Rugby Podcast, Irish freelance rugby journo and podcaster, Andy McGeady. Andy, welcome. Thanks for coming in. Uh, lovely to be asked. Delighted to be here, and everything got way more interesting after the <laughs> results in Italy. Um, yeah. I, I feel your pain, but man, it's set up this week nicely. Oh, hasn't it? Hasn't it? Um, and look, it, it's uh, as I say, we've we've been running a, a sort of string of somewhat themed pods for each each week of the spring tour, and we had some pretty tenuous links to France and Italy in recent weeks. So I feel like this is genuine now. We've got a proper Irish rugby connection here. So I feel like you've got us back on course. Excellent. Right. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see where we go with this because if you try to deflect what is wrong with Australia and just talk about Ireland all the time, I'm gonna pull you up. Uh, so <laughs> I'm just so, going to um, just going to show off tonight's uh, tonight's kit for the podcast again. It's uh, the that's it's, it's the a, Irish it's Leinster, test jacket, of course. It's, it's a Leinster training top or a nice casual. It's very very attractive. It is. It is. Oh, it's a, it's. I'm a big fan of this one. 
goes very well on the golf course too, just quietly. Um, we'll start in the same place that we start each week, um, Andy. What stood out for you on on what, well, again, was a pretty busy weekend of rugby? Um, three things that stood out. Uh, Ireland were very flat against Fiji, but we'll we'll come back to that and the usual reasons why. Um, the Italy result was incredible. Just mm. absolutely brilliant. And to, to see them score the tries in the way that they have, uh, it was just, it's, it's really good for the soul. It yeah. really is. Um, and then the France-South Africa, uh, just yeah. an absolutely massive test a match. It, just great. As a neutral, even better, because yeah. you're not committed. It was just great to watch. And I think we kind of learned... We learned a lot from different games over the weekend, but there were the three things that stood out. Yeah, no, good, good call. And I'm glad you mentioned the Italian tries because I think the the quality of some of those tries they scored uh, on on the weekend there in Florence um, have certainly in Australia have been absolutely lost in the wash. But they were some genuinely ripping tries that were, that were scored, and it's just it's fantastic to see space being found and utilized and exploited with pace like they like they were it was it was it was great to watch harry what's the for you maledetto capiozzo uh, <laughs> yeah the italian experience was fun I, for me it was still this idea that you finally get to stop extrapolating and can see for example two heavyweight packs the french and the south african packs against each other in Marseille, where every French person would tell you, if you want to have a street brawl, Marseille is where you want to have it, on the docks, <laughs> a seething city of corruption and crime and con- controversy. I love it. I love it. I love the Bouillabaix. Mm. I love the fact that, you know, people have been streaming through there for centuries, Greeks, Armenians, Romans, Comoranians, Senegalese, the Maghrebis. And so I think it was a perfect place for two uh, teams like that, dotted with different names, different accents, different uh, dialects and origins to just smash each other. Mm-hmm. I do think it was good for the French that we were down to seven. Seven to eight was about fair, I think. I think it helps them stay in the game. Um, but, uh, you know, I think you, you look at it later and you say, I think Anthony Jolanche said it best. He said, we have never faced a set of forwards that strong. And that was with Quach yeah, right. eight. And Quach at eight's not really a strongest eight. Not so true. I do think we learned that. I think we also learned the French are really tough to beat because they found that magic sauce of, uh, and they're good at sauces, of, um, of finding a way to win. And I would say that three or four years ago, the French found a way to lose, maybe two years yep. ago even. They would find a way to lose in a particular strange way. So that's what I think I got from it is, uh, you are a real deal, but Box still have the best forwards. Yeah, yeah. Well, France lost two tries. uh, Sorry, France lost two tests to Australia by less than a try each only 18 months ago. So, yeah, you're you're spot on. Yeah. It's a a good call. In the Six Nations, they, I mean, they found amazing ways to lose uh, a year ago. And then this, I think this year they finally sorted the, the mentality. And, and I suppose that's what Australia is lacking right now is how do you, how can you be bloody minded and follow up, you know, a really good performance in um, uh, Paris, mm. you know, with something decent and they just fell apart again. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a really good point. Look, my, 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 my standout was just the, the reaction to the, to the women's world cup final in, in Auckland on Saturday was just absolutely amazing. And it was everything that we love about rugby. Um, you know, it, you could see what it did for the game in New Zealand. You could certainly see what it did for the, for the women's game and, and for, 
for rugby in the in the minds of young girls, and that's fantastic in its own right. But even just the way England reacted and said, "We gave it literally everything, and we just weren't quite there." And it's you can't really ask for much more than that after a World Cup final, guys. It was just it, it was it was a proper celebration. It was it was a cracking game. It was an absolutely brilliant game, but it was just a proper celebration of the best tournament in the world and, and how it should be played. It was, it was wonderful. How would you think you would go, Brett, if you were playing in that game? What what position would you play if you were oh. the world, Women's World Cup final? I'd still I'd still be battling the land land passes from the bottom of a ruck. You know me, mate. <laughs> so you'd play nine. Still just, of course I would. Of course I would. Just because the bodies are a bit smaller and a bit lighter, that doesn't mean I still want to tackle them. <laughs> That's just yeah. sensible, isn't it, Andy? <laughs> That's entirely sensible. Stay in your lane. Yeah, exactly right. I know my strengths, mate. That's exactly where I'm where I'm going to go. Let's let let's let's move on to it. And it's the it's the Wallabies against against Ireland in, in Dublin this weekend. So we'll sort of come at, to that from from two different angles. I mean. The Wallabies were just. <laughs> I think. I think everything that has been that has needed to be said about the Wallabies in the last forty-eight hours has been said, and, and and all of it is entirely warranted. I'm intrigued to know what you guys are seeing from the outside, Andy. You mentioned you you switched over um, around about half time in the Island Fiji game. Could you believe what you were seeing? It was well. Firstly, it was really tragically annoying that those two games were clashing, even if they'd yes. been slightly yes. stepped over the day. Like that would have been good. But look, we can't have everything. Uh, Ireland Fiji was was flat, and mm. we'll come back to that. But the I could believe it in a sense because if you're gonna like the Wallabies hadn't picked their first choice team, they'd picked you know they'd made a lot of changes. Mm. Italy put points up last week um they yes, got yes. that huge win against like out of nowhere against wales last year featuring capuzzo as well like just they've been putting together stuff for a while which has been hidden with behind a very long losing streak at test level at, at, at six nations level i mean they're just incredible but if you look at what's been happening in the urc zebra is starting to be much more competent team mm. and you look at Treviso's rise and who was with them for most of that it was Kieran Crowley yes and he put together a Treviso team that was different than any Italian team we have seen maybe ever which was a very exciting back three who were given license to ball and that's what we see echoes of in this Italian team. Mm. Some players are the same. Some players are different. But they've got competent test match forwards. And that's what you need. You need to be able to go toe-to-toe, maybe not with the South Africans of this world, but the next level down. And the next mm. level down is where Australia's forwards are. You know, maybe skeleton aside. Uh, but apart from that, they have some competent halfbacks. Um Without Garbisi, by the way, Paolo Garbisi who pulled it, pulled out. I mean, yes, to achieve the win yes. of that magnitude without their best back, maybe their best player total is astonishing to me. Mm. Um, but it, it was it was great to see and exciting. And the one thing that I will say unashamedly, I was really really hoping that last kick did not go over. I felt sorry <laughs> for the young kid coming on on debut, but 
Oh, I was so, so, so happy. And again, the quality of the tries, the quality of the play, mm. that's how to excite people. That's how to excite the Italian fans as well, because it's a big market. Like, it, yes. One of the reasons yes. we want Italy to be good at rugby is that it's a big country that is all about football. And if you can even mm. excite a small amount of that, like France, France is just rugby in small pockets in the south and sort of a couple of isolated outposts in the north. It's very regional, but we've got them involved. They're a huge market. If you mm. look slightly outside the game, it is super, super important to have a competitive Italy in this game. Yeah, no doubt. And it can only make the Six Nations you know, a significantly better tournament. Not that it's terrible now, but it can only make it better going forward if Italy can start really building on this sort of, actually start creating their own momentum going forward as well. Well, the problem is we've been saying that for so, so long. There's yeah, been true. false dawns. Um, we had, if you go right back to the start when Italy were admitted from into what was the, the Five Nations, you were coming out of the Diego Dominguez era where you had a couple of incredible players, um, generational talents, but nothing really much around them. But at that time, yeah. they were still shipping, you know, sort of 60, 80 points a game. The, the improvement has been there. It just we haven't been able to get that watershed moment where you're going, mm. oh, 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 we need to be careful with these guys because they can score fives and sevens, not just threes when you have an off mm. day and you're not scoring tries yourself. What we see with this Italian team is different because to win now at test level, you need to score tries. You cannot do it in threes like the old days. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Harry, South Africa have got Italy this week. So two two days after the fact, what have, what have you attempted to make of the Wallabies' performance on Sunday? Well, and so we, I think we said in our instant or medium reaction pod uh, <laughs> that it was a pattern for the Wallabies. I mean, there was basically yeah. a a strict pattern where I play a good game and then I shit the bed the next. And I think that's what happens. Um, and so in that way, it was, I, I think you said it was pre- entirely predictably unpredictable and yet therefore mm. it's consistent. Mm. Um, that's not a, that's not enough, right? That's not going to mollify Wallaby uh, supporters who are justifiably outraged at losing to Italy. And that's no real slight in Italy, but as Andy says, they lost their best player uh, leading into the game. Um, and, you know, Italy still is used in the Six Nations as a stat builder. I mean, you know, even England can score tries on them. So I do think that you have to take the in, in the larger context and say, this is a huge calamity. Uh, mm. It should not have happened. So you can, you can go and, and mine out and, and, and tease out why it happened. So one is the wholesale changes, the fact that Wallabies have become the biggest chop change artists in, in world rugby since Link McKenzie, it's been difficult to find um, any kind of yes. continuity collection. And so it's just very difficult. When you, when you go against a, a place like uh, a team like Italy, you should keep the structure of your team and then throw in two or three young guys uh, to mess around with and see what they're made of. That's what Ireland does. That's mm-hmm. what the box do is. They let, I mean, except for a couple exceptions with like Wales, but they, they really try to let the young fella get in there and, and learn with people around them, you know? And so I thought it was, um, that was a little bit ham-handed. And the other thing is, it doesn't feel like to me there's a Rennie doctrine still. When yeah. I try to discern what it is, I mean, play hard, play physical, get into the contacts, be athletic, be good, be big. 
but that's nothing. Uh, there's not really Kieran Crowley. I think out coached him on the day. We have to just say. That. Oh no doubt, no doubt at all. <clears throat> no, no, no doubt at all. He had a plan that he thought could exploit um, the, the the Wallabies' disjointed defense in, in midfield and out wide, and he did that repeatedly. And and the Wallabies didn't learn from that, and that's the the, the frustrating part from it. And and this is where I sort of get caught caught up, Andy, because I've, I've written as much for the for the raw today. I don't know what the Wallabies now now can do. Usually there's a you know usually there's a there's a rein you can pull or there's some little tweak that you can make and you go all right well we acknowledge that we you know we we just tackled a touch high or so there's a little tweak you can make usually after a loss. I don't know what the Wallabies can adjust this week and that annoys, frightens frustrates the hell out of me because where 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 are they supposed to go from here they they're a they're a team who should be playing and and have the talent to be playing a lot better rugby than they are but like you said on sunday morning harry they are both rock hard and flaccid at the same time (laughs) and you just don't know what you're going to get and so this weekend at the aviva in dublin we'll get we'll get a reaction because we always do where after a bad loss, the Wallabies always lift. They always play better. They might not win, but they definitely play better. And then what happens the following week again? They've got Wales in Cardiff in, in a week's time. What, what are they going to be like there? Are they going to be able to go again or, you know, are suddenly they're going to turn around and get 30 put on them? This is, this is where we're up to Andy. You could be, so there's there's a couple of ways this could go. Um, firstly, against Ireland, an Ireland with Johnny Sexton is very different at the moment from without. Okay, I cannot. Yes, emphasize and I'm going to, and I'm so going what, to come to this question in a moment. Actually, yeah. Um, but let's let's assume that he's playing. Okay, Australia to pull off a win with Ireland playing like this, uh, Fiji aside. Um, that's just the absolutely predictable 1 p.m. flat atmosphere, yeah. flat team game that Ireland Ireland is not good at getting up for those early kickoffs against mm. a team you're supposed to beat. They've, they've never, ever really, really kicked it because to go that long in a game, to go, I think it was what, 30 minutes at one stage without a score, that's not good enough. Um, mm. And because when you get to World Cups, you need to be better than that. You need to remove the risk from that game early and put yes. desperately, desperately fast to bed. And when Fiji are still playing and interested later on, then something's gone wrong. Um, red card or no red card. Um, but there's a huge difference between the standard of Ireland and Wales at the moment. And it's much more than on the rankings. Uh, yeah. Wales are not good at rugby right now. Like they are so, so far away from their peaks that if Australia come and lose to Ireland and then lose to Wales, the thing that you might miss is the losing to Wales is the real problem. Okay. Yeah, right. Yeah, sure. But if you get some sort of result in Dublin, if I was Australian, I'd be going, what do we learn here? Because to your point, what you're saying is, well, do we know exactly what we did differently? 
do we know what mm. our ethos is as a team? Do we know what our identity is of, of, mm. of, of how we play rugby? Because what you're kind of telling me is that, yeah, we, we go out, we give it a crack. <laughs> we, we play hard. And we'll hope that some of our really talented players do something mm. that a really talented player can do. Because when I'm sitting here, not afraid of an Australian team whatsoever, right? No. With only two exceptions. One, Will Skelton, because of what he has done to Leinster for two different teams over the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, for Sar- both Saracens and La Rochelle, could not handle, well, not just his size, but the way they used him. Okay. Uh, and the second thing is, Australia, you do have some incredibly talented players mm. who can do really cool stuff. So on a day where Ireland perhaps, let's say they go out flat again, I don't think it'll happen. But let's say they go out flat. You do have players that can damage us, but man, yes, there's a gap here. There's a big gap. What we're seeing between an Ireland, France, South Africa, and frankly, everybody else, and that includes New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 pretty fair assessment. What do you think, Harry? Yeah, I think so. We're we're talking about the difference between being a good coach at club level. Dave Rennie is definitely a good coach in that sense. But when you get to the national test level, because of the limited time you have with players, the ability, need to communicate with them uh, daily via electronic means and build more of a doctrine. Um, By that, I mean, he has to actually be more like a CEO and he has to get aligned. He has some strong coaches in there, but I don't think uh, his way is charismatic enough maybe he's not enough of an asshole but i don't mm-hmm. know he, he needs to get people marching to his tune and then the players need to know what they're doing Stuart lancaster uh, and um, leo and uh, andy farrell these guys have built al- almost an academy system like the medicis I and mean, you can like turn out the same sculpture of the flaccid rock hard david time to time you don't know who did it uh, the, the players from St. Michael's are almost interchangeable with the players from some other schools. Sorry, I don't know the names of all the schools. But mm. Ireland in the Leinster area, for example, is building something very uh, finely tuned. Even a guy like Peter Omani in his you know, a mature age could shift because he knew what he had to learn. They told yeah. him, that, oh, and we'll work on this and this and this. And he came out a different player. I don't know if the players in the Australian rugby sphere know what Dave Rennie does want it's chop change some of the changes are so different it's like you know you're dating a girl and then you find out that her ex was some guy so different from you You go what how did you like that guy and me so uh (laughs) you know it's a revolving halfback story you know i don't know and i just think that the midfield doesn't really exemplify how smart and clever australia is australia is supposed to be clever and smart players and they win that way not by being big beefy guys there's always someone bigger than australia uh, yeah. They need to go back to the idea of outthinking you and out, out moving you. Almost basically play like Ireland in a weird way. Yeah. Uh, hone that approach, but it takes a long time. It takes someone different than Dave Rennie, probably. I don't think he's. I don't think he ever thought he was a long-time uh, Wallaby coach. He was always sort of a a guy with suitcases unpacked, uh, not really unpacked. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's a really interesting point about the the size issue. So it's something which you've seen in how Ireland have developed. Ireland, as a nation, we're just not big. You know, we don't have the physical yes. size. Look, look, look at some of our, the, our backs, like Hugo Keenan, like Jimmy O'Brien. They're not 
big guys. No. But what are they are? They're they're footballers. They're what I call footballers. Yeah. They're multi-skilled and they beat you with brain and with execution and mm. with and with that inherent skill. Uh, Johnny Saxon's actually an unusual Irish back in that the physical size he is as a fly half. Um, that's not something we can hope to recreate. Uh, our forwards are not huge. Um, we have, a lot of them have to fight to keep weight on. Uh, so yeah. Ireland's found a way of playing which went through the Joe Schmidt era and now has been expanded by Andy Farrell by combining a very high skill level, which wasn't always the case. I mean, if you look at, if you go back 20 years, we didn't have forwards who could do pullback passes and stuff like this. That just mm. wasn't on the table at all. But now it is, and we're seeing it come through in multiple ways. Um, but playing a very, very accurate game, particularly mm. at the breakdown. And that's where if you have someone like Skelton who can just come in and say, I don't care how accurate you are, I'm very, very big, and I'm using my bulk effectively, <clears throat> that can get in the way of what we mm. do. Yeah, and I, I thought the way Skelton and Swain played together, their mall defence was was probably the one highlight of the Wallabies in the weekend. They they ripped apart Italian malls for fun by the end of it. They, they really did. Um, and and that took some doing in itself because Swain wasn't supposed to start this game. Nick Frost was going to play, and he was a, a late withdrawal, maybe the day before, with some with some illness. So, so Swain Swain starts. Caden Neville comes on the bench, and he followed suit as well. So, the question and the challenge for for Dave Rennie this week, because they've only got Will Skelton for this week, and that's it, is going to be how do how do we get the most out of Will Skelton in that Wallaby pack? And can we build a game plan around it? And and Harry, that's maybe that's a blueprint going forward. Yeah, I like the I like the, instead of lifting him in the line out, which would be um, the world's worst job. They used him coming around. They, uh, yes, back. I think that's terrifying, right? I mean, who's yeah. who's coming as Lucy's maybe a nine and a ten trying to tackle that space? Uh, holy! They they used him yeah. to run the Rob Bellatini line in in <laughs> midfield. So if he has a proper head of steam up, that's a nice one. That's a good ruck target, good starter play. And uh, starter plays have been some of the some of the problems for the Wallabies this season. Uh, they haven't mm. started when they haven't had starter plays. On the, on, the, on the contrast, Ireland, there's no one has better starter plays than Ireland. Um, mm. They literally just breed that from eight years barefoot rugby on. And so I think it's going to be a proper examination. I was wondering, Andy, on some of the Irish viewpoint of this game, does Ireland take this game seriously enough to put the best 15 That's, on or, yeah. you know, I think it's, instead of, you know, trying to work in Henshaw and ring rows or some top flight. Uh, and, and will we see more of uh, maybe the understudies to Sexton? I think it's going to be, we might be forced into that, the Sexton question. Um, and we're at a really interesting time. So if you're sitting in Ireland, uh, you've had, you've had Johnny Sexton there to lean on for an awful long time. And at various mm. points over that, we've we've come through the, well, who is the number two, um, let alone who can compete with him for the starting spot? Mm. You know, because, well, you don't have a backup. Well, do you know what? It's a good problem to have when you're dealing with one of the greatest fly, fly has of all time. That's fine. We, we'll, we'll use him when we can, and we can't. <laughs> That's fine, yeah. right? Yeah. But when you get into a Six Nations tournament or what we are looking at, it's all about the World Cup. 
all about the World Cup. You can't lean on him game after game after game every week because he is a very physical fly half. So who do we have right now? Joey Carberry has been the heir apparent since I think it was Graham Henry came along to a Leinster training session when he first was coming through the academy and just said, uh, lads, there's your fly half for the next 10 years. He saw him in a training run. So Joey Carberry's it. Uh, Leinster preferred Ross Byrne at the time of fly half and moved Joey Carberry to 15. Joey Carberry moved to Munster where he actually played really well. And then he got injured and he's never been the same Joey Carberry since. But we've yeah. all seen that dazzling peak. He is a high potential player and we all want him to do that again. Now, if Sexton was out, it would be Joey Carberry starting this weekend against Australia. Joey Carberry had his clock absolutely cleaned um, by a Fijian shoulder at the weekend. And I'd be very, very surprised if he plays. However, Ross. I'm not his doctor. I am not the physician. Who came on for his debut, and we thought he was going to get about 10 minutes at the end, young Jack Crowley, who is basically the third choice fly half for Munster, behind Ben Healy and uh, Joey Carberry. We have Ben Healy. We have uh, Ross Byrne. Ross Byrne's younger brother, Harry Byrne. We have Billy Burns, the Salon Burns, up in uh, Ulster. Jack Carty, who uh, is the perhaps the most naturally talented of all Bar Carberry. He played under 15 soccer for Ireland. Like just there's oh, a wow. pure footballer. So yeah. if you ever see uh, highlights of Connacht play, Jack Carty's that small, uh, very neatly presented hair um, who can do these <laughs> kick passes. He's got more, he's got a wider arsenal of kick passes he, than perhaps anyone else. He um, and Mac Hansen have got a nice little combination yeah. already, haven't they? Yeah. They really do. So if, if we don't have Sexton because of a dead leg, if we don't have Joey Carberry because he cannot play, then our options are, again, looking ahead to the World Cup now, not just this weekend, do you throw in young Jack Crowley, who's been very impressive for Munster when he has played, and do coat pretty well and say, listen, here's the keys, goat. Uh, Kieran Frawley, uh, another Leinster player, plays uh, can play multi-position, but Ireland wants him to run at 10. Um, is he fit? He wasn't fit for this weekend. Um, so apart from that, it looks like it could be either Crowley or someone else parachuted in from outside the squad. But the more fundamental question, I think, that, that Jazz has, are Ireland taking this match seriously? The answer is yes. So what I think Ireland needs to see and do and prove is that you can go back to back to back in these games. Okay. That is what has let Ireland down at World Cups every yes. time. Yes. You can't go back to back to back. And it's not just against the big teams. With the greatest respect, what happened last time, the time out? Lost to Japan. Yeah. It happens yeah. all the time. So part of this, I think, is about mentality even if there and there will be a couple of changes made, it'll still be a we're making the changes because this might happen in a World Cup mm. and we still need to win this game. Full stop, no matter who it yeah. is. Yeah. They, they they effectively need to approach this as if Fiji was their last pool game and they're now moving yeah. straight into a quarterfinal. That's that's exactly what I would be doing. Because you know mm. what? If we have got through a pool and uh and Sexton is he's taken a big knock, well then we don't have him. You know, mm. live with it, deal with it, because you will have to in that big tournament in a year's time. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. It's 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 going to be fascinating. We'll see some teams out later in the week. I expect that Australia will be back to you know back to 
burst 15 or whatever that is now, um, uh, which then means, of course, it's going to be another 10 or a dozen changes, Harry. And, you know, one of, one of the biggest criticisms I had of, of Checker at the end of his run was that he didn't seem to know what his team was in 2019. And it got to the point where through the course of the World Cup, he made in excess of 70 changes in all. Like, and it was it was incredible. Now, already on this tour, just the starting team alone, um, yeah, Rennie's up to twenty five. So, you know, that's that's in three games. It's um, you you can't keep that up. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what both teams look like later in the week when they when they come out. Yeah, I don't know. Just you know, the more I hear Andy talk, it just sounds like a a well conceived. Um, plan that has several levels it's striated it has um logic inside and outside of it in ireland and then that's what you're up against um it just it just feels like um the wallabies are lurching from game to game uh you know team sheet selection deadline to deadline there's not this overarching um you know, plan where you can see it unfolding. And a lot of it was uh, almost by luck or something happened. And then, oh, yeah, so maybe um, Nick Frost is good. I mean, I just don't know. Yeah. yeah. It seemed like a thing where they they really have an actual flight and strings and, you know, depth charts and stuff where they're trying to work on something and then homogenize it. Um, so, I, yeah, I'm just, I'm worried about it. And and also everyone's waiting to know well, what's Rennie going to do. Is there extension? Is there not? That's always difficult in comparison. You have Andy Farrell with a whole battalion of coaches, well set, mm. ready, got their houses mortgaged. You know, it's like they're living the, the dream of rugby in Dublin. So, yeah, yeah, no, no doubt where Ireland are right now is where the Rugby Australia brass were hoping the Wallabies would be when they when they put Rennie in place. So I've got no doubt at all that was that was don't get, don't get too excited. We want to be in the exact same place in a year's time. Our problem is keeping that keeping our list yeah. all the way through. There's a long way to go. That's top dogs, your favourites. You have to wear the crown. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and here, Andy, you're worried about me deflecting. Look at this. Yeah. <laughs> Rugby. On the There's some fascinating roar. games coming up um, this this weekend, and, and I thought to before we let you go, Andy, it'd be it'd be fascinating to to hear what you've made of the teams from the south coming north, um, and and what you've made of those those teams, and and as a bit of a comparison, I suppose, to what we're seeing ourselves and how we think our teams are going in the North. What, what have you sort of observed over, over the last few weeks of, you know, we've talked about the Wallabies, obviously we've touched on South Africa, but we, what have you made of, of the All Blacks? What have you made of, of Argentina as well coming North? What have you made of Japan? Well, I wouldn't go just, I wouldn't go just the last couple of weeks. We'd go back into the summer as well. And yeah. think about, think about what we've seen in terms of the overall report card. And again, I, I'd view this, I'd answer this in the context of we're a year out from the World Cup. Okay. And in that context, firstly, without even going to the Southern Hemisphere teams, we should all be terrified of France. Yes, they've, been, they've, yes. they've put together this the, the classic French combination, which is um, incredibly exciting backs. They happen to have a couple of generational talents. In fact, multi-generation, if you include Dupont. 
um, with a big mean pack. And mm. France have never been good without a big mean pack of terrifying subhuman monsters. And they have, they have these now. And they have players who can do things that no one else can do. And they're not, to Harry's point, finding ways to lose games in stupid and imaginative ways. They are mm. absolutely terrifying. And when you combine that with um, a uniquely French way of TV production and direction, uh, that could go very <laughs> well for them in a World Cup. Um, so outside that, you're looking at from Ireland's point of view as being right now head honchos in the world. We're looking across the water at England who are somehow finding ways to be not good at rugby when they're the deepest um, around. Uh, I'm excited by Argentina. I, I think that what we've seen from them in the last while is, is really interesting. Really mm. interesting. They've got a fabulous goal kicker. Fabulous yes. goal kicker, who I who I love watching just in terms of the way he kicks the ball. It's just it's a Buffelli's timing is just beautiful. Um, they've they'll always have a good pack. They've got they've got backs. I think they could be a little bit scary when we come to a year's time. South Africa are really good in general, but it's all the plan A. Now the plan A won them a World Cup, but we saw what happened in Dublin when they don't kick their goals. And it means that you're hugely reliant on a Colby or someone like that to do a Colby thing. And that's not a plan that you can rely on every single time. That's what that's what certain generations of French teams used to do. And you, you can't you can't do it. You can't mm. plan for a tournament that way. Um, I also we, we haven't got to the end of the Razi Erasmus story. I don't understand why after each game there's now a video released or multiple videos. Released. Yes. Yes. Surely that is going to, it's going to come back at some point with some kind of unpleasantness or something that they as a camp have to deal with over the next year. Yeah. I don't get it. Why would you, why would you put something in your own way? Um, and, and, it very, ha- and it has to, to jump in there. Yeah. It, it, it has to, because I think even you'd agree, Harry, that, that this, this can't be allowed to continue with this facade of, of oh, yeah, we weren't quite good enough on the day and we need to adjust our tackle height. The, he knows exactly what he's doing with those with those videos. And the longer world rugby and the world rugby referees in particular, the longer that this allows to continue unchallenged, the more he'll think he can get away with it and the worse what world rugby will, will be made to look because they slapped a six-month ban on him. I don't really see what the difference is now, Harry, in what he's in what he's trying to do. Okay, so I have to make a nuanced point here, <laughs> and, and this is in crime and punishment. You know, we what sometimes we get so mad at someone who does something wrong, and clearly Rossi was wrong in the, the Nick Berry situation. Um, that we then don't want him to, you know, be fully restored to cheeky free speech and shenanigans and that's what he would say and also just so you know there's no not even one ounce inside Rossi that thinks he's doing the wrong thing here he's, oh he thinks, I have no doubt I have he no doubt revolutionary he thinks that there's a lot of stuff that you and I and us don't know about the referees and how crap they are and how ridiculous they are at owning up to their mistakes um, how they tolerate mediocrity and uh, and it does affect now of course he has a particular point of view but I would say 95% of coaches would agree with him privately they just don't want to do what he does 
So I think, you know, what he said is to the lawyers, um, what did I get in trouble for? They told him a list and now he's like gone full Rossi and said, okay, so I'll do just short of that. I'll always say I'm sorry <laughs> and I'll always yeah. be taking the piss. And that's what he's trying to do. But he, but he wants to do it in a very discreet way now, which is like uh, one Ford pass, one Ford pass, one right clean, that's his style now is he's going to yeah. get down 20 seconds. Uh, it's easier to ship around the world you would be remiss in betting against Rossi sometimes because he's shown that he's a clever guy, even if he's infuriating to you, that he might <laughs> that actually he doesn't get he doesn't get punished for. He just might never get punished for that because it might not be illegal. It might not be bringing yeah. into disrepute. And it's it's spawning a crazy debate about standards and why it is that there's not a rating system of referees that was published uh, where you say Wayne Barnes is the best. And I think that's true, by the way. So if he has an off day, it's okay to criticize him because he's still the best referee in the world. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting, Andy. It's interesting, isn't it? It, it is. And I think one thing there is, like, he is super smart. Like, Oh, no doubt at all. Crazy he knows, smart. Yeah. He's, he, it's crazy like a fox. There is, there is a plan. He knows where the line is. He's going to come up, probably cross it over a couple of times. But you know what? It's probably like, you know, it's you're coming in at the side in every rook or offside in every play. They're not going to call it every time. They're not going <laughs> to call it every time because then you wouldn't have a game. So you just keep doing it and we see what happens. And that's what's happening at the moment. Um, but the one thing I, I do think we shouldn't lose is that there's, We've, we've talked about the on-the-field ramifications in that how could this impact South Africa. I do genuinely feel that there is a poison, and I don't use the word lightly, that came out of the Lions Test Series that he's now in danger of putting back into the fandom, okay? Yes, Where yes, after yes. a game, we're supposed to just get on with it and 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 just have fun and drink together and have pints together and and you can talk about the thing but you're not still like this at loggerheads about yeah. the thing i yeah. we've had a very good example of this in in the south african franchises joining the the urc um the difference in refereeing and interpretations absolutely infuriated um south african coaches south african players south african fans and over time you could feel just dampened down again as people adjusted on both sides to there being different interpretations and also mm. getting along with that. But rugby is a very special sport in that we do have that final whistle goes, we can talk about it, we share points. Mm. It just doesn't matter. And I, I think we just need to be careful. That's what I would say. But he is it's crazy like a fox. Um I, I need to go around to New Zealand. Yeah. Uh New Zealand are New Zealand are secretly or maybe publicly, depending on how closely you follow Ruby, um, they're, they're way off. They're so close to being classic New Zealand, but they're off. I mean, we've mm. seen from the results, we've seen in the way they played, particularly on, I look against Ireland and the games that immediately followed um, our test series down there, where we're kind of going, okay, yay, we've won in series in New Zealand. And then you're going, oh shit, are they actually good? Uh, but <laughs> they're still amazing. They're they're an amazing yeah. rugby team. It's just they're not clicking right now. And yeah. that they've that's if you're gonna have a time to not click, it's a time to do it now where you've got a year to yes, fix true. It, yes, right. And yes. they have just like the talent is off the charts. It's terrifying. But do they scare you as they would have done sort of six, nine months ago? No, they don't. 
Mm. They just don't because you can say, okay, we can beat them in a number of different ways and you're not scared of them doing New Zealand stuff um, mm. to us or anyone else. So that's my kind of run around the houses right now. Yeah. Uh, broadly speaking, it's, interesting. it's kind of South Africa and New Zealand are fixable, obviously. Australia have a lot of work to do. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt yeah. at all. No You're going to beat us this weekend, aren't you? Oh, no <laughs> doubt at all. Absolutely clear as anything. There is, it's, it'll, it'll happen. It'll be, it'll be. I've by, jinxed this massively. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, it'll be. I, I apologize to my countrymen. <laughs> it'll be by the worst penalty kick from 45 meters out that sort of changes directions in the air two or three times and bumps over the crossbar, but they'll win by two. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing sure. It'd, it'd be a good night uh, though. Here, can I, before, because uh, I know you guys are pushed for time. Um, Harry, I read your piece on visiting uh, Dublin <laughs> for a match. I read it with I read it with enthusiasm and with a smile on my face. Uh, it was really interesting seeing someone on on a rugby day out. Yes, yeah, yes. I appreciate it. It was a very it's a lovely town to walk through and not have a preconceived plan. I just flowed from pub to pub and and just spoke to. <laughs> possible and uh yeah lovely people to to your point about how rugby is different and uh we must keep it that way compare that to football clans they cannot clash it's going to be a nightmare if you're drinking in the same place and uh whereas in rugby you could just flow and there was just such a good spirit and and also afterwards um you know there was no problem you know having bach and irish fans at the same bar um no, no you, you actually want it. If you're Irish, you want yeah, of course you, do. you want opposition fans in the pub because it's just, it's good crack. You'll find yourself sharing yeah. a story or buying someone a yeah. pint. And it's yeah. just, it's, 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 it's learning about, you wrote it down. But if I was in the pub with you later on that night, that's a story you'd have been telling me. Yeah. And that's yeah. what I love. Yeah. That's what came across. Yeah. I thought it was great. And I'm glad you enjoyed our town. If, yeah, you're not telling, if, you, if you're not telling stories, you're creating future stories. And that's, well, that's one it. of the joys of the game, isn't it? Uh, we should touch on, on Women's World Cup, Andy, before we let you go. And, and, and Ireland didn't make it, didn't qualify this year. There's an eternal battle now, as there is in all the nations that haven't made the step to professionalism yet. So what's the conversation around the, around the women's game in Ireland now? And what's happening to make sure that you don't miss out next time around? Yeah, where it's an interesting place. I said before we started, it's as if the Women's World Cup didn't happen here. It's, mm. it's there's, and part of that is the time zone. If that was happening in England yeah, or France, true. it would be different. Um, but with with the time zone difference, it just hasn't been on the radar because Ireland hasn't been there. Um, where we are right now is to try to get our central pool of players contracted at a professional level. But then you get the rub. What does professional mean? Professional means mm. I pay you to do something. But if you can't pay me enough to cover my rent, and Dublin is a sky-high rent city, or to cover my living, or to cover whatever it is, then it still means that, effectively, I'm semi-pro because I'll need another yeah. job. Yeah. So we're back to the same place again. It is, in the big picture, looking at the sort of the, the 10 to 15-year view, it's good because something that's not a lot of money to someone who is 34 years old might be a lot of money to someone who is 22 years old and might not stay in the game. Okay. Mm. So having professional contracts in women's rugby is a good thing, but we're not out of the woods yet. 
that's not even to get into the you know sevens players you know and we, we have a combination of sevens and 15s players but i think there's a lot of good feeling around women's soccer in ireland women's rugby had it not long ago and was hugely disappointed that they didn't make the tournament but there is a, a spirit and a goodwill, and I do not mean that in any kind of patronizing way. I mean yeah. it in terms of newspaper editors, I think in terms of media coverage, in terms of people going to games, in terms of kids wanting to wear the jersey of an Irish women's sports person at a team mm. level. That still is there that can be grabbed, and we're, we're absolutely savable, put it that way. Uh, yeah. We'll be at the next one. Andy, do the does GAA have a women's version as well, like the hurling? Yeah. Do and it's it's where you get a lot of crossover. Um, if you go back to what I said about the the men's point, um, we we're never going to be the biggest team in the world because we are not a big race. We're all about sort of you know five foot ten to six foot two and a bit stringy. Um, we're not <laughs> big heavy heavy monsters. Uh, but what we do have is players who play multiple sports growing up because we have yeah. soccer, yeah. we have rugby union. We have Gaelic football, we have hurling, and each one of those needs a different skill set. And it's the one great advantage we know we have without even knowing it. And it's the same in the women's game. So we have a lot of players who played Gaelic football that come out and are, are recruited by rugby clubs or who try out for rugby because at its heart, it's a contact sport involving a ball and a field. Yeah. There yeah. you go. And rugby at women's in the women's game is still at a level where it's not as technically advanced as the men's one in that you cannot cross over. You can at this stage in the women's game, yeah. the pool of players is simply smaller. Yeah. Um, but, I, and it happens between uh, soccer and, and Gaelic too. Uh, we have these, we have these people who are brilliant. They can play multiple sports, um, but they're not getting the books that they, perhaps yeah, should be doing that deserve, to yeah. commit that professional lifestyle to the game uh, yeah. but no harry it is one of our great advantages that we do have we we have we have players who could be playing rugby that are playing another sport yeah uh, and that's where ireland are our id and talent mm-hmm. and have been for some time In- interestingly enough andy uh that the interesting little segue here is that for a long time that was seen as an advantage in in australia is as kids we played so many different sports but more and more now we're seeing kids being identified and they're being put into academies and, you know, not contracted, but, you know, with intents and they're trying and they're, they're trying to, particularly from Australian rules, particularly from rugby league, they're trying to silo these kids, even cricket's having a go at this, trying to silo these kids at younger and younger ages. Um, and they just aren't getting that same, no, uh, that I think same it, experience. It, it, in, we see it in America is a brilliant to look at this because you see that you know, people can play multiple sports uh, even at a professional level. It has happened. But injury research is always really interesting when you look at stuff. If you are playing different sports for longer, it doesn't even have to be a field sport with a ball. It could be karate. It could be something else. Mm. Your body learns different ways to react to situations and it makes you more resilient in future. You can yeah. solve things in different ways and use your your brain and your muscle memory is, is just, it's crazy better. So, you know, I have two small kids. They won't be silent into anything for a long time. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Hopefully they'll be good at something and they'll enjoy it. And that's the main thing. 
yeah, they will. Look, it's been a great, it's been a great chat, Andy. I'm really, really pleased that we um, that we were able to get you on and, and have you on. And I've got no doubt at all we'll we'll do it again uh, next year at some point. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. I'd like to congratulate uh, Australia in advance on beating Ireland handsomely this weekend. <laughs> Just to undo my jinx. Thanks, chaps. It's been brilliant. The roar. Harry, fantastic to have Andy McGeady. Really, really, really enjoyed that chat. Just yeah. Good, no one good talk chat. quite like you know an Irish writer. They're just yeah. brilliant. The words just flow. Yeah, Sub- was uh, was uh, unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and no, that was great. Really, really enjoyable. The week three of the Autumn Nations series, the spring tour as we know it down south, the November internationals sees Wales playing Georgia in Cardiff. That's midnight uh, sun- Saturday night, Sunday morning Australian Eastern Daylight Time. Same time, Italy are facing South Africa in Genoa. Um, and then those games are followed by Scotland, Argentina at Murrayfield, England, New Zealand at Twickenham, and then Ireland, Australia in Dublin at 7 a.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time. France play Japan uh, on Sunday in Toulouse as well. So a couple of ripping games coming up this weekend. Uh, a little bit of news to finish, mate. Um Melbourne Rebels flanker Richard Hardwick uh, joined the Namibian squad for their uh, for their tests against Spain and Canada. He debuted uh, on the weekend for them in uh, in, a, in a warm up game. Um, he was born in Windhoek, of course. Grew up in Australia and moved there as a, as a kid. But um, he played the last of his two tests for the Wallabies back in 2017. So he fits under the new allowance. And I've got to say, I like this. This is the way the allowance was meant to be. Use, yeah. I think so. I'm I'm here for that. Uh, Sir Graham Henry announced last week that he will be retiring from rugby after 50 years in the game after the uh, the, the World Cup triumph uh, for the Black Ferns against England. Um, coach Wales, coach the British and Irish Lions, coach New Zealand to however many World Cups. So he's uh, he will walk away from the game a pretty content um, content man. Uh, the Western Force wrapped up its postseason tour of Japan with a 34-28 loss to the Urasu Daya D-Rocks on Saturday. Um, and the only other thing I had for you, mate, and this is really interesting, the Hong Kong government has reacted really heavily uh, on Monday after a popular democracy protest song was played instead of the Chinese national anthem for the city's team at a sevens tournament in South Korea. The, the, the Hong Kong's teams play under the Chinese anthem, but before they took to the side to the field against South Korea in the final, they played a song called Glory to Hong Kong, which was written by an anonymous composer during the violent uprisings in 2019. And it's hugely popular now by the pro-democracy movement. So uh, really interesting there that, that rugby is still being used um, for hope, you know, to, to try and spread that kind of message. And it will be, sort of thing that there's probably going to be ramifications for the game in Hong Kong for. And as you know, we are really huge in Hong Kong. And so we, we are. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Whoever's doing that, reach us, uh, reach out to us, contact us and let's try and see if we can talk about the story some more. I'm very yes. interested. Yes, indeed we are. But that is episode 44 of the Raw Rugby podcast behind us. Don't forget Harry and I are both on the socials and do leave us a rating or a review if you've enjoyed the pod so, so far this year. We had another couple of five-star ratings over the weekend, and it all helps. We, we love receiving them. The boffins love telling us that it all helps with algorithms and listings and all that sort of stuff. Uh, a quick shout-out to Christy Doran, who has joined 
the raw full time as as our as our rugby editor uh, as of this weekend just gone. Uh, X Fox Sports News Limited written for the Australian lots of lots of play, papers and 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 outlets in Australia. Um, good rugby guy and uh, and we we look forward to having him on board. And he's currently in in the UK reporting uh, from the last couple of games of the spring tour. So um, a welcome to you, Christy. The Thursday two up is back. This week again, and we're back on Sunday morning Australian time as ever uh, with another instant reaction pod after the Wallabies strive for redemption in Dublin. Don't forget to like, follow, subscribe on your pod platform of choice and ensure that new episode drops into your notifications as soon as it's live. It's the Raw Rugby Podcast with me, Brett McKay and Harry Jones every week on the raw.com.au, Australia's biggest sporting debate, the home of all your favourite international rugby analysis, opinions and conversations. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in your ears next week. Come play with us.